0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world.
1: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we're back in Los Angeles after a wonderful week in Hong Kong last week. We hope uh, you enjoy the shows we bring you from various parts of the world. It's fun to do. As you know, if you've been listening for a while, this program is all about helping entrepreneurs and everyone in business to be more successful. We've been bringing you uh, information, great advice and fantastic interviews now for four years to help you maximise your own success. Four years, it seems like such a long time. Um, It's a lot of shows. Next week, we're going to have a chat about customer service. During this last couple of weeks, I experienced personally some fantastic customer service And I experienced what I consider to be lousy customer service. So I thought we'd discuss both of those next week. So if you've got a horror customer service story, let me know and we'll discuss it next week. Are you familiar with graphene? Like graphite, but with an E-N-E on the end. If not, you soon will be. It is amazing stuff. Graphene is one million times thinner than paper. I mean, that's almost impossible to wrap your mind around, isn't it? A million times thinner than paper, and it's 200 times stronger than steel. 200 times stronger than steel and yet so thin. More importantly, it conducts power and heat more efficiently than anything else ever discovered. So, needless to say, technology firms like Apple and Samsung and Google and IBM and Nokia and Sandisk and they're all scrambling to um, use graphene because they believe it'll totally transform the digital area. The um, at the University of Michigan, they're working on graphene contact lenses that allow you to not only see in the dark, but see through solid objects. That's pretty cool, isn't it? (laughs) Jeez. Just imagine if everybody's got graphene contact lenses in all the motel rooms in the world, you'd be able to watch what's going on in the motel room next door. I'm not sure that this is going to last very long, this stuff. (laughs) Anyway, it's it's a new material, and Samsung leads all the firm's, all the tech firms in graphene-related patents, and they've got 405 of them. One big problem with graphene is that it's such a good conductor that it can't be switched off. It uh, lacks what is known as a band gap, which means it cannot be adopted into electrical systems currently, but I'm sure they'll find a way around that. And most experts think that uh, graphene has enormous upside potential. Not only are firms and universities and tech companies racing to procure patents, but its wide range of potential applications ensure that demand, it's got to continue to just grow and grow. And the European Union's announced its plans to fund graphene research to the tune of 1 billion euros one billion euros. Jeez, the um, their applications. The applications of graphene are incredible, and could revolutionise a whole bunch of industries. For example, medicine applications of graphene include the development of bioelectric sensors and bioimaging devices, drug and gene delivery, more effective, powerful disinfectants, and DNA sequencing. Artificial implants are also being explored, and they connect directly into your neural system, and graphene could also be used to produce effective spinal surgical equipment. So just in medicine alone, there's a huge number of applications. Another application is computing where graphene can radically improve the power processing of computer chips. Wrap your mind around this one. IBM has announced that they have created a graphene chip 10,000 times faster than today's standard chips, and they consume less energy. 10,000 times faster and consume less energy. woo A third application could be in electronics, where it could replace silicon in common electric circuitry. Scientists have found that um, batteries, like in your iPhone with graphene, can charge instantly. So no more hanging. What about electric cars? Instead of taking 30 minutes with Tesla and eight hours for everybody else's car, it's a matter of moments, and your car's charged. Um, also great for high-quality headphones and more capable photo sensors and touch screens that are totally unbreakable. Yeah, the list goes on and on. It's also been shown, talk about versatility, to be the most effective water filtration product available. Lockheed Martin has a graphene water filter in development which they say will reduce the energy costs of desalination plants by over 99%. You get that? Reduce the cost of energy in desalination plants by over 99%. Wow, just think what we could do with providing water, drinking water, to the whole world, even here in Southern California where it never rains. So while graphene is an extremely efficient water filter, researchers have also found ways to apply it to other materials to be, cause those materials to become either super absorbent or super repellent. So you use the same product, and it becomes either more absorbent or super repellent. So think about waterproof materials, electronics, buildings, and Nokia is working on a waterproof smartphone. Another use of graphene is energy storage. Because it can conduct heat and electricity extremely effectively, it can rapidly charge batteries, as I just mentioned. Another application is the production of more proficient photovoltaic cells, which can be used in clothing. So all those firms that are working on wearable tech, such as wearable solar, what a fantastic boom for them. Much more energy, much lower cost, lighter weight. The US military is looking at using graphene. So um, you can be sure that as we continue to develop it and as all the big guys continue to take out patents, it's going to be integrated into commercial and military production faster and faster. The incorporation of graphene's other materials, such as paint, plastic, polymer, means that a graphene-based paint applied to a house, for example could store the solar energy and power the house. So you power the house from the paint you put on the outside. And its strength and its lightweight lends itself to address almost any issue. And when you look at the growth, it's, it's just extraordinary. Think about car and plane parts. They're heavy. So they can be lightweight, conduct power, and be 100 times stronger than steel all at the same time. And what about 3D printing? Just think what you can do with 3D printers printing in graphene. The mind boggle. So keep your eyes open, guys. For track graphene, it is the new wonder product. Now, of course, unless you've been hiding a rock, hiding under a rock during the last twenty-four hours, you'll know that Apple CEO Tim Cook has revealed details of the highly anticipated Apple Watch. And if you've seen the new television ads, I think they started yesterday. They're bloody fantastic. I mean, it really looks fantastic. I've got some beautiful watches. I love watches. And as you know, if you've been listening to this program for the last couple of years, I've been saying, until they improve the look of watches, smart watches won't work. Well, the new smart watch, I've got to say, I've got to have one. <laughs> I have just got to have one. They are—they look fantastic. I'll let them go for a little while so they can iron out the bugs. But geez, what a great product! Goes on sale twenty fourth of April. Now the cheaper ones are uh, three hundred and forty nine dollars, but I've got to have the eighteen karat gold version, which starts at ten thousand dollars and goes up to $17,000. Now, if they are anything like the iPhones, though, just think about it. Every six months or so, you get a new iPhone. There's an upgraded iPhone. Different size, different shape, different color, different this, different that. If you're paying $17,000 for an iWatch, an Apple Watch, you're not going to feel like changing every six months, are you? So that's going to be Interesting. The other issue, of course, is how long the batteries will last. Now, Apple says they'll last 18 hours, which is a full day, pretty good. And charging, it's really good and really fast. You've got a magnetic circular thing that just hooks on the back and charges very quickly, but 18 hours, I'd wear. But I heard that about phones, and I heard that about iPads. And, of course, once you start running these things, once you start running all the apps and everything else on them, they last five minutes. But analysts are predicting that um, Apple's going to sell somewhere between 25 million and 40 million Apple Watches this year. That is an enormous amount of business. And in China, they think they are going to sell Tens of thousands of the 18 karat gold version. Wow. The watch is going on sale in eight countries outside the US, including, well, going on sale in the US, obviously, but Australia, Canada, China, France, Germany, Hong Kong, and Japan, as well as the UK. But it can do everything. Have a look at the, the ad on television. It can um, receive and make phone calls. On the watch, you can read emails, um, SMSs, make wireless payments um, you know, your, with your Apple Pay, control the music on your iPhone and tracking. Um, Apple, two Apple Watch owners can send each other animated messages and imprints of their heartbeat and all sorts of stuff the Apple Watch will be able to run third-party apps, much like iPhones and iPads. Um, If you saw the launch yesterday, they demonstrated a weather application, Um, the messaging app WeChat, um, and uh, other apps included Instagram, Uber, Shazam, a ticketing system for American Airlines, if my memory serves me correctly. And the Watch Connects, to a user's iPhone over both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, meaning the phone doesn't necessarily have to be in close range of the watch to provide data connectivity. I thought the coolest thing, though, yesterday was a remote opening of a garage door with the watch after a text saying his daughter was locked out of the house. And uh, you can also buy Coca-Cola from, seven, I think, 700,000 vending machines using your phone. While we're on the subject of Apple, how often do you reckon you've seen the Apple logo? If you're a dedicated Android user, you've still seen it a hell of a lot if you're an Apple user. You're looking at hundreds of times a day, probably. Do you think you could recognise it? Well, UCLA conducted an experiment where it showed people 12 Apple logos or variations of the Apple logo and asked them to select the correct one. As you know, the logo is very simple. 53% of people could not identify it accurately. 53% of people couldn't identify it accurately. And when the same respondents were asked if they could draw the Apple logo... Only one person in every hundred could do it. One person in every hundred. Jeepers. Okay. Now, remaining with Apple, but on a totally different angle, is the report that researchers working with the CIA have conducted a multi-year sustained effort to break the security of Apple's iPhones and iPads. Apparently, the security researchers presented their latest tactics and achievements at a secret annual gathering called the Jamboree, where attendees discussed strategies for exploiting security flaws in household and commercial electronics. By targeting essential security keys used to encrypt encrypt data on Apple devices, the researchers have sought to thwart the company's attempts to provide mobile security security. To hundreds of millions of Apple users. It seems that um, the US government wants to find ways to decrypt and penetrate Apple's in- encrypted firmware which will enable them to put spies and plant malicious code on Apple devices and seek out potential vulnerabilities. that are currently masked by encryption. Yeah. Other presentations at the CIA conference focused on the products of Apple's competitors, including Microsoft's BitLocker encryption system. So the revelations that the CIA has waged a secret campaign to defeat the security mechanisms built in Apple's devices comes as um, the tech giants are loudly resisting pressure from senior US and UK government officials to weaken the security on their products. So the government wants to be able to know what you're doing and get in and spy on you. Isn't that what Snowden was doing? And lastly for news this week, the world's biggest advertising company says Google's now its biggest partner, and it spent $2.9 billion on Google ads last year. Now we know there's been a massive shift shift away from traditional advertising to digital, but WPP has revealed that Google is now its biggest partner in terms of where it puts its clients' advertising money. So last year, WPP invested 2.9 billion dollars in media bookings with Google. By comparison, they spent six hundred and forty million on Facebook, four hundred million on Yahoo, hundred and fifty million on Twitter and a hundred million on AOL. So more than double what they spent on all the others. And outside of digital media, WPP only spent two point five billion with Fox and News Corp combined. So that just goes to show that people no longer want to invest in fairy tales and fake news. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Los Angeles on Voice America Business. We're here to assist you. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at com, and we will definitely get back to you. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is sent out to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries each month. And I'll be back after this break with my guest, Eric Rice, a great guy, another metal member who's been a serial entrepreneur for more than 10 years. He's the founder and CEO of Trepscore, which is a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network designed to help all of us cut through the noise of data overload and to be able to make actionable information take action at this at the right time. And um, prior to starting Tripscore, score, Eric founded, invested in, or advised more than thirty startups. That's a hell of a lot. This is Bob Pritchard live from Los Angeles and I'll be back with Eric in just a moment.
0: Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business, and we're proud to be the most listened to radio program in the world for entrepreneurs, with people listening to us in over 60 countries. Now, In this part of the show, we talk to extraordinary people, entrepreneurs that are either enjoying great success or establishing a new business and are making a difference. There are some amazingly talented people on this planet, and I love to speak with them because they teach us so much. Being an entrepreneur and being successful is bloody difficult, and we don't want to make the mistakes that people before us have made and have found a way to solve. We'll find plenty of mistakes of our own. So by listening to these interviews, we can find out what are the things that they've done that made them successful that we can learn from, and also the ones that we want to don't want to emulate. Today's guest, Eric Rice, he's a fellow Metal member and has been a serial entrepreneur for more than ten years. Eric's specialty is bootstrapping lean startups. He currently serves as a founder and CEO of TREPScore, a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network designed to help entrepreneurs cut through all the noise of data overload and proactively provide actionable information just at the right moment. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting that Probably 10 years ago, I was getting 400 emails a day, and most of it was crap. But because we've now got better firewalls, etc., we're still getting 400 emails, but most of them are data and information that we can use and that's of interest and that tells us what's going on. But if you spent your day reading all of this data, you'd never get anywhere. So the key is just getting the information that you need and getting it at the right time. Now, prior to starting TREP Score, that's T-R-E-P-S-C-O-R-E, um, Eric founded, invested in, or advised more than 30 startups in fields ranging from alternative financial services to software to live action gaming. Boy, I bet that was a frustrating 30 startups. Woo! His wide-ranging industry knowledge makes him a highly valued partner to many of the top entrepreneurs in Southern California. We've been talking a lot about Entrepreneurs Achieving the Impossible Lately And Eric's favourite quote is Only the man who can see the invisible Can achieve the impossible I think that's great A couple of weeks ago I had a fellow um, medal member on, Ken Cragan And Ken was saying that um, To achieve the impossible Is actually easier Than achieving the ordinary And uh, when you think about it It's true Hi Eric, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show Hey, Bob, thank you so much
2: for having me. Really appreciate
1: it. Now, being successful today, as I mentioned, is very difficult, particularly if you're underfunded, because the entrepreneur needs to wear so many hats. I mean, developing your product or service, whatever it is, is hard enough. But to run a business and worry about finances and worry about management and, and all of the rest of the things you have to worry about and the legals um, – makes it so difficult. There's just so many hats. So tell us about the startup market today, um, the primary challenges, the trends, how people are addressing this wearing hats, wearing too many hats situation.
2: Well, the startup market today is really interesting. So it's it's, it's really evolved over the last 10 to 15 years into... Some things have changed. Most things have changed. Some things are still the same. But the, the, the real big changes in the startup marketplace today are... Uh, they've come through innovations uh, and innovations in prototyping. So mm-hmm. the ability to put a product on the market quickly and find out whether it works or not is changing the dynamic of what a startup is. It right. used to be a, a napkin on a sheet. You go use the money and you build something really expensive, and the failure rates are extremely high. It's right. A lot different today. Yep. Okay. One of the big. The biggest trends that you'll see, though, is that the, with with rapid prototyping and ease of building companies, there's really, honestly, a, a becoming a very big lack in truly innovative products. So where we used to see people trying to solve problems like um, like you know transportation and healthcare and some of these bigger ones, there, there's a, a real big appetite from both startups and investors for you know simple products. I, I always tease people that uh, when I meet a new startup, I say, you know, I'm Eric. Good to meet you. Please tell me you're not the Uber of something. <laughs> like The first way I start with it, everything's an Uber of something, or we're like this, and, and, and people are being trained to, uh, very much like Ken Cragan said, they're trained to uh, assimilate themselves with something ordinary so that it's easily palatable. And those deals get funded quickly, but the really, truly innovative products, uh, they take longer to get to market, and they generally uh, have less funding in the beginning and tons of it in the end.
1: So are you saying that Uber isn't um, innovative?
2: uber itself is but i ran into a gentleman the other day uh i asked him what he did he said i'm the uber of dog walkers which (laughs) just received 1.4 million dollars um i have a dog i have two kids uh, i have a busy life and i have absolutely no problem finding a dog walker i don't really really know where that pain point is but uh i've met the uber of uh the uber of accountants the uber of lawyers it's it's, it's becoming a, a, a very redundant copycat market, which is predictable in, in a rapid prototype environment. Very predictable.
1: We were talking last week about the Uber of toilets. Did you see that? That now there's I have, Uber. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, yeah. one of the difficulties that I hear most um, entrepreneurs say is the challenge of raising money. Now, you, you've headed up, what, 30-odd... Um, startups how do you raise your money where nearly every entrepreneur I speak to says geez I've knocked on a million doors and I haven't been able to raise anything what's the secret
2: well there is, there is no secret um, again the easier your idea is to understand the faster it's funding most of the time yeah uh, the more audacious and ambitious the idea is the slower the, the more relationship driven your investor contacts become uh, I can give you the the, the trial and, and tribulation of, of us raising capital. What we're doing is extremely wanted, needed, and tested. It took a long time to figure out what to do. It took a long time to get people to use it. Uh, but in, in my opinion, the 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 investor interest is now multiplying by five, six x every week because not only have we gone to the market with a problem, we've maintained relationships with our with our investors even when they say no. And when they say no, we ask them why, and and we you know some cases you got to beat it out of them to get why uh <laughs> but you get that information and you would continue to grow and you display who you are how tenacious you are how resilient you are how innovative you are um and and the 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 fundraising process the real secret sauce is to have patience you know whether you have or don't have money you have to understand you're asking someone you generally barely know to write you a check for uh something they may never see a return on right and it, it it really is a long-tail a long relationship process that most entrepreneurs, because we have such high ADD levels, uh, don't have the bandwidth to to withstand. So a lot of fundraising goes by the wayside because people look at it and say, well, I didn't raise any money in 60 days. It's supposed to be done. Uh, <laughs> when it's 60 months, then you can look at it and say, it's done, but if you have a really good idea that's sticking to the market, you've got to be resilient. It's the number two trait investors look for is resiliency.
1: It's interesting because, um, Tim Draper's a, a friend of mine. He's been on the program a couple of times, and he says that the most important thing to him before he writes a check is to look in the person's eyes and to feel the passion and how tenacious they are and how much they believe in it and the fact that they'll run through a brick wall for it. And he said that's much more important to him than the actual product. Now, I'm not sure that I quite believe that, but how important is um, getting in front of the um, potential investor and, and showing that tenacity and belief
2: and drive. Extremely. Uh, I mean the the thing with the thing with passion and entrepreneurs and investors is most people don't really play it the right way. So your first, maybe second time entrepreneur raising money, they're going to be really passionate about this product and and this company. And because their their passion is so siloed and, and focused in on one thing. It actually is risky for the investor because if say that one thing goes awry, you know, passion is one thing, but resiliency is another. So again, yep. you nailed it right on the head. You gotta have passion, so you have to be resilient. The, you know, the more experienced entrepreneurs, you're more passionate about the success, like driving, not necessarily the product and what it can do or does, but the success of a company and making sure that, you know, as you become an experienced entrepreneur, you have a track record and that track record is just as important as today's product. Right. So it, 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 it really does, it means a ton to the investor in the beginning, but face-to-face means more than anything. In any relationship in the world, social media can never replace face-to-face time time with anyone.
1: I agree. Now, I was reading the other day that by 2020, up to 60% of the S&P 500 won't be in business. They'll be gone. Now, we know that technology is um, creating um, an evolution in, in most businesses. It's we approach them differently, we communicate differently, we've got much better knowledge, etc. So where's the market as a whole, and the entrepreneur market in particular, headed? Where are we going?
2: Well, it's a great stat, uh, because Intuit just recently released a, a, a statement uh, claiming that they estimate that 40% of the U.S. workforce will be independently employed by 2020. So not only are the big corporations losing in innovation because so bureaucracy makes it so difficult for them to move quickly enough to to feed the the appetite of technology change, yeah. But we're also seeing a big change in expenses of running those companies. It's not becoming cheaper to run a large corporation. It's becoming far more expensive. And their, um, and their structure, the the whole
1: middle management thing, is so inefficient. And called you know things get siloed, and then there's so much um, um, animosity and and. Different sections of the company working against each other. Big companies have got everything against them,
2: haven't they? Well, I can give you two examples of that because that's a great point. Number, number one example is uh, I talked I mean, I, I, I probably chat with 30 to 40 entrepreneurs a day, Sundays included. I just am addicted to the space. Uh, and when I talk to some of them, I talked to a guy uh, three weeks ago that said, I got this great idea, and I won't give the name of the company because I don't want to embarrass them, but uh, I went to this company, it's a perfect fit for them. I spoke to a guy. He said, "Yeah, this is a perfect fit," and I never heard from him again. What the heck's going on? And I said, "Well, it's, it's very simple. You probably created a perfect fit for that company, yeah, and you probably. probably talked to the exact person. And that person's job is threatened by the mere fact that they didn't think of that idea. So all they have to do is throw it in the waste waste bucket, and all of a sudden you now have an idea that he's protecting his job. If you come in and innovate your face, he controls. You're you're literally putting his job at risk, which is a major major problem. Right. Uh, the other one." our stats that was recently put out by uh, some independent studies done by Bain and some of these other places that uh, went in and talked to middle managers and the number one most number one frustration point for middle managers, entrepreneurs, or executives right now is information overload. Yeah. And statistically 79% of all people in positions of authority within their own company or another uh, feel that they have more information available to them by the time they get to work now than they used to have in an entire month, five years ago. And frustrating the heck out of them.
1: Yeah, and and you know, for some reason, there's this desire to want to absorb all this stuff. I mean, I get all these emails, and instead of saying, "Well, that doesn't really apply to me now," I'll look at it later. I think, "Gee, that's really interesting. I'm going to delve into that and find out what it's about." And so, you find yourself totally buried.
2: Well, more than buried, you find yourself constantly distracted yeah like things like that are, are extremely distracting. so you know the the same studies which I'll be more than happy to email you uh, to use on the show, these studies show that, that the average person can't pay attention to anything longer than five minutes, not because they're incapable of paying attention, but because a tweet will come in, an email will come in, a RSS feed newsletter will come in, yeah. something comes in that continually distracts us, so our workforce is getting less and less effective and more and more busy, which makes no sense, but that's where we're going.
1: Yeah, but there's so much sensational crap around, isn't there? I mean, I could, I could sit here all day and read all this stuff that I get and be told I wouldn't make any money, but I'd be, I'd be a lot more intelligent probably and, um, I'd be entertained. Um, I've, um, so where is, where's the entrepreneur market going then? What are people really focusing on?
2: Well, so the entrepreneur market, when you, when you, when you say the word startup to so the average person, they automatically think of Silicon Valley tech startup. Yeah. Uh, but the st- startup market's evolving where startups are becoming more brick and mortar. They're in certain areas. Uh, they're becoming more B2B focused and not just providing consumer oh, okay. products. Yeah. And they're really looking at solving problems that uh, uh, fit into larger puzzles. So mm-hmm. the only way that the large corporations can actually maintain their stronghold on the marketplace is to fund, uh, incubate, uh, you know, partner with, collaborate with the, these intelligent young startups and be able to absorb or acquire that technology on a pre contract basis. Right. So they're not doing that in many cases right now. They're not saying, I'm going to give you this money and I want first write a refusal for it. They're saying, create a venture fund and the venture fund's not communicating with the mothership uh, and then you have a, a disconnect. But the, the entrepreneur market is really evolving into more of a plug and play environment where they're building apps on top of platforms instead of building new platforms. They're building um, you know, very niche driven products that are being either self funded uh or overfunded. There's really not a whole lot of underfunding that's going on any longer. It's it's either a big, big chunk of money to compete or nothing. Um yeah. and that's really good for the environment. That's a that's a that's a competitive advantage for both sides. Um yeah. Yeah. so kind of revolving back to the secret to raising money, in my opinion, has always been to bootstrap through proof. So Take the money you need when you need it. Take as little as you possibly can, and prove out your model so that you you have less dependency upon an with an investor in the future. If you if you display great just like with anyone, if you display great dependency, then you're going to have to give up quite a bit. But if you can if you can manage to tough it out through those early early phases, you're going to get to a point where you're in control of your own destiny, and that's really where the startup market is is hopefully going.
1: Um. I've got an interest in a startup in Brazil um that's one of the reasons I'm spending so much time in south america but um and I was reading today that thirty four percent of Brazilian companies are focused on something to do with big data or gathering big data um, is that is that a focus of of startups at all here or I know that refers to companies you know wanting to go out and gather big data and analyze it and Subjected to algorithms, etc. But um, is there is there many entrepreneurs focusing on capturing that big data and spinning it out and being able to define your customers so much more readily, and then using, say, location to um, to really understand their buying habits and their and their lifestyle habits. Well, this
2: is uh, this is the ocean I swim in on a daily basis. So. Okay. Um, Good. Number one, number one to answer the question about big data and and where, uh, it's very regionally specific. So if you look at uh, San Francisco, tons of big data companies. If you look in New York, tons of big data companies. Seattle, uh, most other places in the United States are focused on consumer. Like LA, I'm a big data company, and we're kind of thumb uh, uh, thumbing this down because we're not producing the Uber of dog walking. Right, uh, but, th- but there's a, a definite regional appetite because at the end of the day, great ideas get funded by, uh, by investors who can have regular face-to-face meetings with their entrepreneur. Um, some of the bigger players in that space, Finland's very big in, in, in big data, yep. but the big data market itself is really confusing to a lot of people. So there's different types of companies. There's companies that, you know, collecting big data is very easy to do. No, there's no company that's going to come out that says I collect more data than anyone. It's very easy. What sure. they're doing though, there's a few different types. So some of them are doing uh, siloed big data breakdowns. So I you know you can hire our company, we look at your customer data, we we'll help you refine it. That's very useful. Right. Then there's the other big data companies that provide, you know, generalized dashboards in certain areas, which the CEOs sort of Sale Through just had a great article about this and said that uh, most of the dashboard industry, which is considered to be big data, uh, is a bunch of bottom feeding companies that are providing pretty visualizations and giving right. no advice, no insight. Yeah, totally um, and that's a big problem. They're getting tons of funding just to make the data look pretty. So it's either people who make the data useful, uh, organized, or beautiful. And the ones that will succeed moving forward are the ones that are doing all three and providing true insight. So they're creating sure. machine learning and artificial intelligence. The rest of it is, is already kind of missed its thought. Right.
1: So, so you're suggesting to me that big data is not a big focus in Kansas, it could be <laughs> there's always
2: some smart person in the basement somewhere that's doing something cool that's for sure
1: <laughs> so one of the most common issues that um, founders face today it used to it used to be money was one and secondly getting the right people around you I know so many entrepreneurs that have gravitated to friends that are half smart but not necessarily um, the right person for that industry or whatever so is that still the same sort of issues, or are there different issues today?
2: Um, well, to answer e- easily, the, the main problem founders face today is attention. So it, in our market, it's become cheaper to open a company. Uh, there's co-working spaces. It's cheaper to house a company. Uh, okay. It's easier to find a lawyer. They're discounted. They're online. It's easier to um, you know raise capital, crowdfunding in, in for, for certain types of companies. But the biggest problem entrepreneurs face is getting attention. Uh, and, and that means, you know, the right attention. So getting attention from investors who are bombarded with deal flow or getting attention from the media to get new users, getting attention from potential customers online. That's the biggest problem they face. That and of course, I mean, the two fundamentals, the the two things you mentioned will be eternal. Uh, finding money and finding the right people will will be eternal, uh, for any business. But after that, I would say attention, like really like spotlight is, you know, attention trying to cut through all the
1: messages that are out there creating, uh, vying for exactly the same
2: space. Yeah, Google told us, this is directly from Google, they told us that um, the average human sees 5,800 ads a day. 5,800. Yep. yep. That's astounding. You've got to figure out a way to be the one or two that people will pay attention to and follow up with.
1: Yeah, and they, I think the average person sees that many and can remember five or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, at, at best, I, I, I'm one or two. so I'm going off my own, my own, uh, my own minuscule brain power. Maybe one <laughs> or two a day I look at and I remember. And generally, you know, ironically, because we, you know, especially at Metal, we talk about uh, the the convergence of technology and media. Ironically, the only commercials I personally remember are the ones I see on television. I don't remember any of them I see online.
1: Yeah, I'm. The, I must admit, I'm exactly the same. Now, let's talk about trip score. Um, it's a data-driven peer-to-peer knowledge network, so I guess that provides a clue as to why you've created it. What's the full story there? How did it come about, and why is it called TripScore?
2: Uh, well, uh, the way that we came about is really interesting. So, at the end of uh, one of my last companies was acquired. I left there uh, as a, a contextual search and recommendation engine for mobile apps. Right. And left that, left that business and said, you know what, I've done so many of these things and helped so many companies. I want to do something that I'm 100% passionate about that helps people like me. Uh, and I'm a pure play entrepreneur. There's, I have no hobbies. I, I do My hobby my, is my career. Um, I love what I do. It's different every day. So we started out by saying, looking at the exact problems that, that you stated. The two hardest things for startups are money and people. So we created a vehicle that would allow entrepreneurs to connect their information, upload documents, and get scored so that their score could be uh, transferred out to investors as a ranking system. Um, this was interesting, a huge play, uh, but it was something that the market's not ready for, and it's something that we listened to the audience when, when we heard them say that this is just too big of a platform to launch. We listened the entire way. Right. So what, what we've done along the pathway is we have basically created a scenario that uh, Per one of the largest companies in the world doesn't exist today, uh, which is looking at problems. The actual problem of an entrepreneur is the fact that most people as an entrepreneur wear a thousand different hats a day, meaning wow. you have to learn yep. four or five new jobs on the fly. Yep. And when you're trying to do this, it's extremely difficult to you know get information quickly. The right information pertinent to me and my industry it's almost yep. impossible. Yep. And we looked at at at, at the advisor market because I've done that quite a few times in my career and. Uh, I actually will resign if the if the the founder or CEO doesn't contact me once a month is like what's the point if you don't want my information. Yeah. Um, because nine out of ten times when I my notes going on there they're like oh, that's exactly what we're looking to do. So we looked at that and said, why is why are why are entrepreneurs so reluctant to do this? And, then, and the simple fact after interviewing a thousand of them once, uh, they don't have the time. So we're yeah, we too busy. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to learn how to be an accountant or putting out fires or Basically, entrepreneurs get a great idea for innovation in the first year of their business. They do everything but innovate, which yep. is ironic. Yep. So we looked at it and said, well, how do we, how do we help here? You know, how do we do this? And there's been plenty of companies that have tried this in the past, but we did something very unique. We started using the API connectivity that we created. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like connecting your yep. CRM or you're connecting your Google Analytics accounts into uh, our system. And what our system has been designed to do from day one is to be able to create averages, so these are your rolling averages of each one of these categories, and there's hundreds of them, and detect deviations or or improvements. So we looked at it and said, well, if I'm a company and I have a CRM connected and my sales are slower than normal, I wanna get great information sent right to me on how how to solve that problem, how to improve that situation instantly without having to pull it from the internet from billions of articles but I want four or five articles, videos, podcasts sent directly to me that'll give me information on how to solve that for my company at my stage in my industry. And so we built that. And it got the attention of a couple really huge companies. So you you capture all this
1: information, all these articles and, and statistics and everything else that's out there, which is big data, and you pull it together and you, through some sort of, algorithms or whatever, you determine what are the most pertinent articles or information for a, a particular company in the stage that they're at. Is that what you do?
2: It's what we did. That's where we started. So that was oh, the instance. That's where so you started.
1: What, oh, okay. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> that so, so sounds pretty difficult to me, but okay, I got gotcha.
2: you. The, the maturation came in, uh, in in, number one, creating a manually – human vetted curated library. So instead of pulling big data, you may I may be sending you, because of the way we search for it with an algorithm, I may be sending you an article on Mickey Mouse. And you doesn't have anything to do with your business. But right. so what we did was we created a, a bin of two thousand, a little over two thousand articles. We had them okayed and approved by investors, entrepreneurs of multiple categories. And we, we created the, the we 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 searched the content based on two criteria. Number one, can I read it, watch it, or listen to it in less than five minutes. And number two, can I apply it? To my business instantly as action items within 10 minutes. It didn't fit that criteria, we didn't put it in. Um, so we built that in place, and then we quickly realized that that's not really that much content. Uh, and we started to think of new ways of doing that and creating a more uh, protectable model. So what we're doing now is we're actually sending these things out. Um, by the time we launch in April, you'll be able to do two things. Once you get. You get a, an alert, you know, get an alert directly from our system without having to go to a dashboard or go anywhere, just on your phone, and it says, Eric, your uh, website traffic is down 10% from your norm. Here's five suggestions and insights on how to improve this. And we'll, we'll track your links, and what we'll do is we'll watch your progress. So if you get it back to normal, so you get your website traffic back to normal, our system will, will award you points, which can be used for, for services, promotions, uh, you know, exchange services with other startups in the system. But it'll also say, congratulations that you did it. And for more points, uh, you, know, you can either make a 90 second video by pushing these buttons, it'll hit your webcam, or, you know, type in some information. Tell us how you solved that problem. So what yeah. we've done now is created a scenario where when one entrepreneur joins the system, the system automatically gets smarter. So right. in, in essence, the way I explain it, not an entrepreneur based, but a human, a human example. I buy a table and I'm putting it together and I can't figure out how to put this darn table together. Uh, I want my system to know I'm having trouble putting together this table and I want my phone to ring. And when I push the button, it's going to have six people, one 12 minutes ago, the next one, 22 minutes ago, in Vietnam, North Carolina, who had the exact same problem, who figured it out. And then they're going to tell me in layman's terms, how I figure it out as well. And that's where the entrepreneurial space will go. It's almost a digital advisor, uh, a, a machine learning vehicle that literally every entrepreneur that contributes to the system, the next entrepreneur down the road gets much smarter.
1: So how does somebody um, become a customer or a member of Trepscore? What, what do they do?
2: Uh, well, right now, we, we filled our beta pretty quickly, so we're closed down there, but we're still uh, accepting. You, know, you can just go to trepscore.com, uh, request a beta invite, fill in your name and, and, uh, and your email address, and we'll get put on a list. Uh, in the next three to four weeks, we'll be opening it back up again to uh, up to 10,000 users. Right. And when it gets put into that model, you'll be invited into it to connect one or two APIs and start providing and absorbing new information to help us test out uh, what content is most relevant to each type of company. Um, it's an interactive an interactive system, but those who sign up for this early will be offering a lifetime discount on the service. Um, and for the first, uh, we haven't determined how many, for the first X amount of users, you'll actually get this for free for the rest of your life. Um, it's so important that we have quality entrepreneurs who are sure. solving problems who have the ability to explain it to the next one down the road.
1: Sure. well, it only it only builds on quality information, quality advice, and quality participation, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, a, the fundamental issue we're trying to solve is credibility and source. And the, the, you know if I'm an entrepreneur and I have a problem with anything and I go online, I get something from Forbes who that was written by two people. One of them's a journalist who really has never done what I'm doing before or it's written by a big CEO of a company that's been big for six or seven years who has no idea what I'm going through as a startup. No clue, right. I don't care how, how attached they are. Yeah. Uh, but what we're doing is basically saying, the information we're sending to you, we have verified that that person has actually, factually corrected the exact same problem you have, and they're in the same stage, same space, same relevancy. So if you could find that information anywhere else in the world, I'd challenge anyone, it just doesn't exist yet. But we're going to make that happen.
1: Right, so Brian Williams can't join. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's welcome to join. <laughs> so, so, how? Do, why the name TREP score?
2: I, I must be missing something here. Traps. Uh, well, it's uh, it's it's kind of ironic. It's the the name itself uh, is two words mushed into one. So, Trep is the middle of the word entre- entrepreneur, and it's the term that a lot of people <laughs> use on Twitter. Okay. So. It kind of defines the shortened times the t- attention span of the entrepreneur, of a reader these days. Um, and then the score comes into play in two different ways. So per our name, uh, the score is really, it's, it's a constant scorecard for what you're doing. The system won't let you miss problems of the company or won't let you miss good things you've done either. It's constantly watching and reading your performance specifically for you. Um, but we've also added in a gamification model. so. For the, the entrepreneurs in the system, April, uh, April, hopefully April, maybe like maybe mid mid or early May, uh, we'll actually be creating a gamification model. So every time you do something great, you've improved a problem, you're going to get the score. You're going to get points. Every time you help the community, you get points. Every time you need the help of the community, you lose points. Uh, okay. It's basically building in a knowledge currency where based on the amount of interactivity you have with the platform, you can extract more and more information and really run a much better business in half the time. Well, that's fantastic.
1: I, I realize now why you've been involved in 30 startups and why you're obviously extremely good at it. Um, so we're, we're at the Bob Pritchard. We're all about helping entrepreneurs. So how can my audience help you with the launch of Trepscore in
2: April, early May? Uh, sign up today. Um, we'll, we'll be, uh, as more and more numbers we have in place, we'll be opening up, uh, different forums. Uh, taking in suggestions of great information. So if you're, um, you know, somebody who reads online a lot and like this article really helped my business, please send it to us. Uh, we'll incorporate it into the library. Um, and then we'll manually be circulating some of these, uh, requests out to an audience. So if you've experienced, and it, we'll, we'll give you a list of all the problems that we're tracking in the beginning. If you right. experienced any of those problems and you've corrected them, you know, please make, make a video. Your name will be put on it. Our, our purpose here is to promote and brand. Um, you know, extremely successful and efficient uh, entrepreneurs that are willing to help others because the entrepreneurial space is the only, this is the great thing about entrepreneurs, we're the only group of business people that are willing to share information freely. Nowhere else in the world do you find that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Well, Eric, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Eric Rice and Trepscore, go to trepscore.com. That's T-R-E-P-S-C-O-R-E. Dot com, And um, even though Eric says that um, he's totally involved in um, being an entrepreneur, he can't come to metal tomorrow because he's little leaguing, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely
1: No Bullshit Business Show. Coming to you this week from our hometown of Los Angeles. This is an extraordinary statistic. 90% of the world's data was created in the last 12 months. 90% of all the data on the planet was created in the last 12 months. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And the customer is evolving. Technology trends such as cloud and social and mobile and data science means consumers now have a stronger voice and more power than ever when engaging with brands. We've got smartphones, smart cars, the internet things, wearables, trillions of customer interactions giving data to manufacturers. So that creates the connected customer and businesses now are getting all this information so they can provide better service. Interestingly, despite technological advances, 77% of customers still don't feel connected to the brands that they use. So if businesses don't improve, customers will rapidly feel disconnected and will switch to a competitor. So Only the businesses who do nail engagement with the customer are going to win. And they don't only win by getting a lot more revenue, but they win because they create brand evangelists, and we all know how important that is. It's great to stand up and say how great you are, but it's way better when someone else stands up and says how great you are. So to be successful today, you have to put the customer at the centre of absolutely everything that you do. You need to pay attention to your community. Then you need to access this information and make smart decisions with it and build applications so you can enlighten your customers. Now, there are six things that will impact the future of business. I'll tell you what the six are, and I'm going to elaborate on them next week. The first is the sales revolution. Then the service revolution, there's also a marketing revolution, a communities revolution, and there's the apps revolution, and they're all critically important, and I'm going to discuss them next week. And, and as you know, I'm a firm believer that drones will rapidly become an integral part of our daily lives, being used Across a whole wide range of industries. And the results of a major report released this week show that a, the global commercial drone market will focus on just a handful of industries. And these industries are agriculture, energy, utilities, mining, construction, real estate, news media, and film production. And most growth in the drone industry is going to be in the commercial and civilian side, not the military side and uh, the market for civilian drones will go at a compound annual growth rate of 20% up until 2020. So 20% annual growth rate. Legacy drone manufacturers, the big guys that focused on um, military clients do not have an advantage. So as we've found with most um, technology industries, uh, legacy industries, the, um, the legacy guys will fall by the wayside. So we're getting close to legislation in the US which will um, end the ban on commercial drone flights and will allow low-altitude flights of small, vi- small drones. That's going to happen probably in the next 12 months. And uh, there's no question, though, that um, – Widespread commercial UAV flights will become routine sometime late 2016, 2017. The problem is the U.S. has been dragging its feet, as happens very often, and the notable early commercial UAV manufacturing, it's happening in Switzerland, Canada, Sweden, China, and Korea. And we're too busy screwing around with legislature that's been going on forever that um, we're falling behind half a dozen other countries at least. So we need to smarten our footwork. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that we give you, tell your friends to listen, go to my website at bobpritchard.com, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, and thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show, designed specifically for entrepreneurs, and remember, it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week.